get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle, an interesting note from friend of the show and friend in life, the great Ozzie Smith. I don't know if you saw yesterday on Instagram when I played golf, I took carts number one in honor of the wizard. Nice. Because I was just thinking, what, what cart should I take? So I took number one in honor of Ozzie Smith. And he is of the opinion that maybe baseball should not play in 2020. He told Rick Hummel at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, stltoday.com, personally, it would be great and people need an outlet. But because of the pandemic and stuff, it makes it very, very tough. I don't know if this is the right time to try to do that. He said, it's like going to a restaurant. They may open up, but if something bad happens to a person, that could be it for the restaurant. One bad incident, that could be the end for them. The same thing goes for sports. If something goes bad and people come up with this COVID, as horrible as it sounds for me to say it, this year may just be a washout. That's the reality. And now, with all this other stuff going on, it's just unbelievable. It's just not the right time. This place needs a cleansing. When you look at it from that perspective... And we need sports because we're a sports talk radio station. I think to nourish our minds as Americans, Mm -hmm. we need sports. But if you are really rational about it and can put that stuff aside, Ozzy makes a really good point. He really does. And it's um, as much as I receive what he says and I, I want to push back on it because I desperately want baseball back. I desperately want sports back. It's kind of refreshing to hear Ozzy take the standpoint from a health and safety perspective to say, hey, we're still dealing with a virus here and it might not be the best option during a pandemic to put all these guys together and play. The fact that the conversation is where it should be instead of money, I think is positive. But yeah, I mean, he he brings up some great points. We haven't seen any of these team sports resume yet, and there's a real fear out there that if and when they do, someone could contract COVID and spread it. It could be a real problem. And beyond the pandemic, Ozzy was 10 years old when the Watts riots took place in L.A. in 1965. He said, we slept on the floor because of all the sniping and looting going on. He said, the National Guard set up right across the street. It was a long time ago. History has a way of repeating itself, and here we are again. That was crazy, though, and in the midst of it now, it brings back so many terrible memories. It's just too chaotic. As much as I'd like to go to the ballpark and enjoy it, it's just a bad time. So, it's... Uh, Ozzy's always a big thing, and Ozzy is... I, I'm glad that he's being outspoken, and 
from a, and I'll, I'll admit to you that I am not rational about this. I really want sports back, but from somebody who can take a step back and be rational about it, it really is hard to disagree with that thought process of maybe just trying to press the reset button for 2021. Yeah, we all have an emotional investment in this for so many reasons. I mean, we have, uh, uh, our careers are invested in it, so we want sports to come back for a multitude of selfish reasons. But even if this wasn't my job, sports is an escape. Sports is what we've always turned to, to unify our community and for it to be the part of our day that hopefully takes us away from the stressors of everyday life. And to not have that as an escape, to not have that as an outlet, to not have it as a unifier it's really shown a big light on the importance of sports in our society and people talk about it just being a game or being a business it is so much more than that and Mm -hmm. when i look at all the divisiveness in this country when i look at how many people are suffering because of covid and because of the financial effects because of the pandemic or because of what we're seeing right now with the protests and and the looters and people senselessly losing their lives it would be nice to turn on the tv and have an escape and watch some blues playoff hockey so from a selfish standpoint yes i would like to see sports back and another part of this is that we're going to have some sports back and if you're baseball and you miss a year you're going to fall not fall behind but you're going to lose ground to the nfl they're going to play if you don't have a world series in october Going against the NFL season, you're going to lose ground. To college football, they're going to play. To hockey, they're going to be playing in September and October. To the NBA, they're going to be playing their playoffs in September and October. So you'll lose ground to those other sports, too. I think that baseball needs to play, if for no other reason, than to be out there so that fans see them, so that they are competitive from a business standpoint. Absolutely. I, I just, I really hope that we get some some concrete dates soon about when we can expect, hopefully with the NBA at least, we'll find out tomorrow because, you know, there's the report that Adam Silver is going to present the proposal, they're going to vote on it, and hopefully that July 31st date is approved and we can start counting down the days until we see NBA and then hopefully NHL will follow shortly after that. And I, I certainly hope that baseball can get out of their own way and strike a deal here. And baseball did not have any advancement yesterday, at least that we know of. Hockey had no advancement yesterday. And Buster only made the point, and we aired it earlier this morning, that baseball owners have come up now with three ideas, whether it was the revenue sharing or whether it was players taking a a scaled drop in revenue or whether it was playing 50 games. But they believe, or the way they're presenting things, is that there is a finite amount of dollars available to pay the players this year. The players have come back with full pro rata every single time, whether it was for 114 games or not wanting to take less. And at some point, the union is going to have to come up with an idea so that they can move closer to the middle. Because it seems pretty clear to me that the the owners do have a number in mind. They aren't going to play pay full pro rata over 114 games, 
or over 82 games, they'll do it with less income. They would play it over 50. It seems like, to me, Michelle, I don't know if you see it this way, that the owners have an amount of money that they're going to pay the players in mind. Yep. And the players are going to have to find a way to accept that amount of money. And divide it over X amount of games. Right. Yeah, that's exactly the way I read it. Hey, this is this is the dollar amount that we're willing to pay. Whether you want it over 50 games or 80 games or whatever it may be, you decide that. But this is the amount that we're willing to settle for. And maybe that's the approach that the MLB owners should take is, okay, here's the amount of money that we're going to spend on payroll this year. Last year, we paid players $4.4 billion. This year, with half the games or whatever the amount of, well, here, don't even say that. This year, <laughs> here's the amount of money that you guys are being paid. We paid you $170 million. It's not going to be $4.4 billion. This is the amount of money that we are going to pay you. Now let's negotiate about how we're going to present the season. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice to have one of these things agreed upon and then you can take a step forward? Mm-hmm. It, it, it just is so frustrating. <laughs> Hopefully they're working right now. They're having a big Zoom meeting and getting things settled. That is today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. Michelle has some great topics for us coming up next on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's time for You're Killing Me Smalls on 101 ESPN. Michelle, what do you got? Randy's killing me, Smalls. Man, you guys. Here, I was all confident. Stepped right (laughs) over it again. All right, Randy. Some positive news that we didn't talk about at the top of the show. But Jordan Goodwin announced on Tuesday afternoon on Twitter he's going to return to SLU for a senior basketball season. And a source is saying, this is according to Stu Durando, St. Louis Post-Dispatch, that SLU also expects Hassan French to follow suit soon and announced that he plans to return as well. The only teammates in Division One to each average a double-double last season. Jay Good is a an NBA-quality player. He needs to improve his shooting and needs to improve his free-throw shooting especially. And he can... He's got a ton of talent and can be an NBA talent. And Hassan French, I don't know if he's an NBA player. He's, uh, I don't know that he has the height, although he's tenacious and does a lot of things well. But having those two on this team, and they'll bring a lot of guys back, SLU is going to be really good next year with those guys. If they can stay healthy, they've got a chance to be really good. And I think that they probably would have won that A-10 tournament this year if they would have had it. Yeah, uh, again, good one on Twitter said, I spent the last few months in the NBA draft process. It was a great experience, and I've learned I have the game to play at the next level. But today I'm excited to announce that I'm coming back for my senior year where I hope to finish my degree. So great learning experience for him. But, yeah, he probably said, hey, these are the things that I need to work on to better my chances in the NBA draft. And I think it's awesome that they're, he confirmed and hopefully French as well are returning to slow. What makes you most proud of Jordan Goodwin? That he went to Altoff. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, Randy, I mean, <laughs> fellow fellow Altoff Catholic High School alum. Absolutely. You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, so speaking of college basketball, interesting story, Randy, surrounding Zion Williamson. So, uh, A judge in Florida denied a motion yesterday for Zion and his legal team to stay discovery into whether he was eligible to play at Duke in 2018-2019 under NCAA rules. Now, this is a really interesting story. It has a lot of twists, but it's basically a legal battle that has cast a shadow over Zion's time playing at Duke. And what that means, what this ruling means, is that 
Zion is going to have to answer questions under oath related to his eligibility and any improper benefits he or his family may have received. Uh, I think this is going to be really interesting because if if he's a player of his magnitude, knowing what he likely received and or was offered, and he has to answer these questions under oath, he could blow the roof off this whole thing. And if he knows, he almost has to because if he is under oath, he doesn't know what the person from Nike or the assistant coach at Duke has said. So if he perjures himself, he would be in even more trouble. Mm -hmm. So he does have to tell the truth about he and what he knows about his family. And we had the note in court because the FBA wiretapped both uh, Curtis Towns and the assistant to KU and Merrill Code from Adidas. And they talked about what Zion Williamson's dad wanted from them to get to KU and one of the lines that Curtis Townsend said to paraphrase was we have to figure out what it'll take to get him here for 10 months as a one and done player so we know offers came from Kansas at least if Curtis Townsend's wiretap is to be believed which I think it probably has reason to be believed Yeah. and the big thing here is that Duke has been so untouchable Yep. so if he tells the truth about Duke, what do we learn about that program? And what does the NCAA do to Duke? Right. I mean, they they gave you... I don't even want to say what they did to UNC for the academic scandal, a slap on the wrist, because mm. it wasn't a slap on the wrist. It was more of a shoe get out of here. Like, I can't believe you allowed this to come to light and we have to pretend to deal with it type situation. And we always said there, if there's anyone in college basketball that's more untouchable than UNC, it's Duke and it's Coach K. And... They're an earner. They're they're the mm-hmm. earner. And it's naive. While we haven't had concrete evidence that they have engaged in, in any behaviors like this, it's naive to assume that anyone is squeaky clean in college basketball. And so it would be very interesting to see how um, not only the public would perceive it, how Duke would react, but how the NCAA would act as well. And we've seen the NCAA look away from, as you mentioned, UNC, from the the... Cam Newton situation at Auburn. Well, if you've got a guy under oath that's saying things and you're the NCAA, I don't know how you look away from that, regardless of what institution has perpetrated their crimes. I would also love to know exact figures. If you have a talent like Zion, can you imagine the amount of money and or the benefits that he and his family were being offered from from different uh, schools, different entities? Well, in that year, Duke had the top three recruits in the country. They had R.J. Barrett. They had Cam Reddish. So I don't know if it was a package deal, but you have to believe if ever there was a year, if there were improprieties taking place, if ever there was a year that they were spending a lot of money or getting a lot of money and Nike was helping them out, that would have been the year. And the, I guess the narrative always was, it's Coach K, it's Duke. They have such a storied history of winning. And, and Coach K is a guy that can groom these players to be NBA stars. They don't need to hand out improper benefits. They don't need to pay players because they're Duke. Well, I think if you look at the entire system and you say, if Duke is having to pay players like Zion X amount of dollars to go there, then what are these other schools doing that maybe oh, yeah. haven't been caught? Take it or leave it. You're shocked that... This is happening to Zion, Williamson, and Duke rather than a Kentucky player. Doesn't Coach Cal seem a little bit more slimy to you? Like, if something was going to... If they were going to do something, if if a school was going to do something, I would pick Kentucky over Duke to do it. And get caught doing it. Yes. 
but I'm going to leave it only because of the actual lawsuit. So it's yeah. the Ford and Prime Sports Marketing that filed against Zion. They're, they're saying it's a $100 million breach of contract. And they're going after Zion because they think he has the capital to get them paid. Right. So I don't even think it's a Coach Cal Kentucky or a Coach K Duke. I think it's Zion because they, they want the money from him. Good and job. they think they can pin him down. So I'll leave it. But yeah, you know, from a from a Kentucky standpoint, take it. You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, we talked about the Los Angeles Rams and Stan Kroenke and uh, just what the a guy. Di- yeah, right. Just what a disaster the stadium project has been and how they say they're going to open in August. Well, another team that is on the move, the Las Vegas Raiders, they're also dealing with kind of the same thing as far as a stadium construction standpoint. Several workers on their stadium project in Las Vegas have come down with cases of the coronavirus and they've had to leave the job and self-quarantine. An additional 15 cases were reported with that project prior to the weekend. And it seems like the Raiders are having uh, the same issues that the Rams and Chargers are having. And allegedly, Mark Davis is really sweating out the completion of the construction at the stadium. If they don't have the stadium available for their first game or two, where the heck do the Raiders play? Great question. The Rams could go back to the Coliseum, I would Mm -hmm. think. I would hope that from their standpoint that they have made some behind-the-scenes deals already. The Raiders, they can't go back to Oakland. There isn't an NFL viable stadium in Vegas. Maybe San Antonio. I don't know where the Raiders would play if they can't play in Vegas. Yeah, that's a great question. And you wonder if Mark Davis has a backup plan, a contingency plan with that. Because it seems like everything you're hearing out of him is, you know, completion at the end of of July. Even though we're sweating it out a little bit, it's going to get done. It it doesn't seem like there's been any sort of talk of a a backup plan or a concession that they have a plan in place in case it can't get done. We should take a look at the schedules of the Niners and the Raiders. And the league might just force the Niners into sharing... Levi's Stadium with the Raiders if they if those two teams are not playing at home on the same weekend. By the way, it's interesting. You, you talk about the coronavirus contractions at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas, and there have been multiple, I think five, that have been uh, they contracted the virus at SoFi Stadium in L.A., and Kroenke is a notorious germaphobe. Mm. He, he got really upset. Because he got sick after drinking out of the Stanley Cup when they won it in 2001. And does things like takes paper bags with a sandwich to restaurants and stuff. You know, it, it's kind of weird. So he I shows wonder, up to a restaurant with a sandwich and a paper bag? Yeah, a billionaire. He brings his own food to a restaurant. He's done that, yes. Oh, wow. All right, all right. Kind of wa- seems like it defeats the purpose, but whatever. Kind of does, but if he's meeting with other people, he doesn't, doesn't uh, evidently doesn't want other people preparing a sandwich for him. He wants to have it prepared himself, by himself. But I wonder... Oh, come on. He's not preparing his yeah. own sandwich. Well, somebody is. <laughs> Anne or something. Do you think, though, that... He has spent any time around the construction of that stadium with all of those people and with the threat of the coronavirus? I would highly doubt it. Me too. I oftentimes get stopped in Los Angeles and they'll go, are you that guy? you assholes go back to St. Louis. Those are his own words. That Those are what people in L.A. say to him? Yeah. Evidently, that's what, the, that's what it sounded like. Go back to St. Louis. Yeah. We don't want him. We do not, but that's apparently what they're saying in L.A. It's, 
Those are his own, like we said, those are his own words. Now, I hadn't heard that clip. What was that in, in regards to? Oh, he's he kind of opened up one time. There's more, right? There, he, he just kind of, he opened, he kind of bared his soul. To, uh, oh, I thought he didn't have one. Oh, oh, that's wow. a great. It, it's, Did got he buy a, one? it's got a lot of marks on it. Oh, okay, okay. So, but he, he, he's a guy that, yeah, he's a very highly emotional guy. Well, I told everyone in the room today that I have not been able to understand the emotion since 2002. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Yeah, and that's not it. He's 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 said more, Michelle. He's he's got a great history of really being honest with his feelings. I promise. We'll see how that process works out. See? Gosh, <laughs> I still sometimes can't believe that that was his response, and that he he expected yeah. anyone to believe that he wasn't going to move. That was the day that Jeff Fisher was hired. I'll never forget it. And point blank, he says, "We'll see how that process plays out." Now, not. No, I love St. Louis. I want to stay here. We'll get a deal done. Don't you worry. He didn't even pretend that he wanted to stay here. That is uh, You're Killing Me Smalls on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to visit with the former Cardinal GM, Walt Jockety. He made the trade for Mark McGuire in 1997. And Walter will join us next on 101 ESPN. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN in St. Louis with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker, and it's a pleasure to go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and the architect for uh, Cardinal World Series champion in 2006 and a franchise that went to the NLCS five of seven years. Walt Jockety, now an executive with the Reds, with us on 101 ESPN. Walt, great to have you with us. How are you? I'm great, Randy. It's great to hear your voice again. It's great to hear yours as while. well. It has been too long. Uh, thanks for taking the time with us. And we're looking That's forward cool. to the, the documentary coming up on June 14th, the McGuire Sosa documentary. Uh, were you interviewed for it? And how much are you looking forward to it? Yes, I was interviewed. I'm definitely looking forward to it. It should be, uh, uh, I'm anxious to see how it came out because uh, I interviewed did an interview for it, uh, boy, it's well over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, and uh, I'll probably end up on the cutting room floor, but that's <laughs> sorry, at least I had, I had a hand in it. But it, uh, from what it sounded like, the um, when, when I was interviewed, the guy, the producer, had already interviewed like 35 people, and he still had several more he was going to uh, get to. So it should be interesting. I hope they, they treat it right. I'm sure they will, and, and uh, USPN usually does a great job of things, and um, you know, it's just, uh, it brings back a lot of great memories. I mean, that was a fun time in baseball, a great time in St. Louis, and had a lot of people excited all, all across the country. I want to go back to July of 97, and I told the story earlier on the day, in the day, Walt, when I was doing the post game at KMOX, and I expressed real doubts about whether the Cardinals, in fact, I might have said there's no way the Cardinals can pull this off. And you were downstairs and we were talking outside that studio and you said, I wouldn't be so quick to write off our chances of getting McGuire. What were the, what were, I was on a roller coaster ride. What, what did you know at the time? And was it a fait accompli by then? Well, it was, uh, I'll tell you, I don't know why I analyzed the, uh, the, the market for, for Mark at the time. There was only one other club that I was concerned about um, because most clubs had first basemen. They weren't going to go after them, at least people that were, were had a chance of uh, acquiring him. Uh, the one club I was concerned about was the Angels. And as it turns out later, Bill Pavese worked for me in Cincinnati, and he told me they, they thought they had him. And 
because that was, you know, the team that I knew that they were pursuing him, and it was uh, Mark's hometown. But in the end, we were able to make a deal with uh, Sandy Alderson and, and uh, my former boss at Oakland, and, and we got the deal worked out. It was was it was not easy though. It took it took quite a while to get it done. But uh, I'll never forget Jerry Walker and I were in Philadelphia at the time around the trade deadline, and we finally pulled the deal off. And and uh, and then again, the, the the other great part of it was, uh, and I knew that by getting him, uh, I thought we could convince him to stay in St. Louis and sign a long term deal, which he finally did because. Number one, his relationship with Tony and Dunk and Dave McKay and Barry Weinberg and uh, myself, uh, we just felt that in, he, in that, I knew that when he got to Cincinnati, he loves baseball, he loves the game. When he got to, or, I'm sorry, to St. Louis, when he got to St. Louis, he would see what the fan base was like, the enthusiasm and so forth, and, and he absolutely fell in love with the, with the Cardinal organization, the Cardinal fans, and, and it was a really an easy deal. We got the uh, deal done before the season was even over. Wow. Well, you talk about Mark's relationship with Tony. To get that deal done in 97, Mark had to waive that no trade provision to come to St. Louis. When you had those conversations with him, how much did you lean on his relationship with Tony La Russa to convince him to do that? Well, that was that was a big part of it, obviously, because Tony was uh, like his second father. I mean, they, they had a very close relationship and, and it grew even closer um, in the years in St. Louis. And, and I think that, uh, uh, in fact, I, I still see Tony talking quite a bit. Uh, I'm, I'm living in Arizona now, and Tony's been out here for a while, and, and I see him during spring training and so forth. And we, we talk about some of those things. And it's just, uh, you know, it was it was a thing that I, I just felt that, and you know, I obviously knew Mark when he first came up in Oakland and, and uh, when he was in the minor leagues, we first drafted him and so forth. So, I had a pretty good uh, idea of what what he liked and what was important to him, and I, I just knew uh, the relationship with Tony and uh, having a trainer like Barry, who had always worked on taking care of him. And you know, just like I said, I knew that he would love St. Louis, uh, like we all did, because it's, it's you know one of the greatest baseball towns, if not the greatest baseball town in the country. Well, do you think that that mentality still applies today? Because when we talk about players like Nolan Arenado potentially being on the move, part of the argument that fans in St. Louis make is, here's a guy who loves baseball and wants to be part of a winning franchise. If he comes to St. Louis, he's going to fall in love with it. But I don't know if the the construct of baseball with with finances and things like that, if something like the history and or fan base carries as much weight. So what do you think about that? Well, Michelle, I I still think players... Uh, especially a guy like Arenado, who's got his contract, he's got his money. <laughs> and I think that what he wants to do now is win. And as most players uh, want to do, you know, after they, the first thing to do is, uh, you know, obviously everyone wants to win, but once you get uh, uh, financial security and uh, you want to get into a situation where you know you've got a chance to win every year. And I think St. Louis has done, certainly just demonstrated that for the last 20 years or so. And, and it's, uh, you know, it's an area that I think that, you know, once guys get there, they just realize fans are great. The organization takes care of them, and and it's a it's a fun place to work and play as a uh, in, in baseball. So I do I do think that they still would have interest in, in doing that or should. Former Cardinal GM Walt Jockety with us on 101 ESPN. The documentary Long Gone Summer coming up on June 14th, and. 
Walt, we, we were down in spring training. You experienced that entire offseason, and it was amazing how we all just, at least from a media perspective, we were expecting McGuire to hit 62 or more home runs in 1998. Being around him, what was it like to have him know that those expectations were there? Well, <laughs> he was uh, obviously was excited about it, but he was also... Now, there was a lot of pressure on a lot of media pressure, especially towards the end. And uh, he was, uh, you know, it was it was taking a toll on him after a while. And he he needed his space, and and we we granted him that. But he was you know he was good about signing stuff and taking care of people. But you know it was just a, a time that I think it was so important to him to get to that level and get to that point to break the record. That uh, um, you know he, he's such a competitor that he wanted to make sure he he got to that. And actually went beyond it, but it was uh, it was a fun time. I'll never forget. Uh, uh, in fact, Tony and I were talking about it the other day. Tony was getting ready to do this. We're talking about the, the uh, documentary next week. But, you know, it's the night after after the finals. We, we went to dinner with he and his family. Went to the uh, Old Warson Country Club for dinner, and it was Tony and I and, and uh, 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 David Pratt and and uh, Mark's family. And it was just a, it was such a unique time. I still have a picture of the group, and uh, you know, it just the the celebration of it. And it was such you could see how Mark had completely relaxed and and just was so happy. And but he was exhausted, you know, and he still had a ways to go in the season. But uh, he he was. Uh, it was obviously pretty excited about it. Well, I think one of the cool things about Mark is that you mentioned earlier his motivations. He wasn't motivated by getting every last dollar. He proved that twice when he signed in 1997 and then when he left money on the table to retire after the 2001 season. But when he took that first contract, how much did that benefit you in negotiating with other players where Mark McGuire took less than he could have gotten on the open market to stay in St. Louis? Well, I, I, I think it helped us tremendously, and, and I believe that. Uh, and you're right. Mark left a lot of money on the table. First of all, with the contract, but also when he just decided that he couldn't, you know, compete to the level he wanted to anymore, and, and decided to retire and left millions on the table. And and I think that he, uh, you know, I think it helped us with a number of other guys. And I think that you know, and I'll tell you, but I, I, I still believe that uh, certain guys took less money to stay in St. Louis because they, again, they had a chance to win. It was still, they're still being paid a lot of money. And, uh, I think that they, they just wanted to be a part of the, what was going on there. So it was, it was in, in Mark taking that, uh, I guess you want to call it a hometown discount. I don't know if it was or not, but it's, you know, they take less money because they, that's where they, they want to be. They, they want to stay in a situation, you know, it's a lot of money. And you know to be in a place where you're you're happy and and content and have a chance to win is more important sometimes than a few extra dollars. Well, one more thing about Mark, and I know Michelle has a question about now, but I, mm-hmm. I tell people that even with what we know with the performance enhancers, that night that he hit sixty two and specifically when he hit sixty two I've been at a lot of sporting events, and that's the coolest moment that I've ever witnessed with the the streamers and then after the game, the fireworks and the corvette. I can still see that in my mind's eye right now twenty two years mm-hmm. later. What about from your perspective, a longtime baseball executive? Where does that particular night, when he hit 62, where does that rank for you? 
That's uh, it's, it's right up there. It's got to be one of the top five because uh, you know, obviously, winning the pennant and winning the World Series and the parade in St. Louis, those things were all pretty exciting. But this was this was an accomplishment by an individual that we brought to St. St. Louis that uh, was was history making. And I still, in fact, I saw a clip the other day as they were preparing for this uh, documentary on ESPN of Joe Buck's call, and it was just. You know, it just gives you chills thinking about it. And, and uh, it was just, you know, it was one of those things that it happened so quick, too, that <laughs> when, the, when he hit the ball and boom, it's out of the park. And uh, by watching him run around the bases and, and being greeted by the Cubs players and stuff, and then at home play with his son, which is was magical moments. It's like uh, it, it's almost as, as good as one of the World Series. Well, reliving that home run chase is certainly exciting, but it's also a stark reminder that we don't have baseball right now. It makes you ache for baseball in a lot of ways. And as you can imagine here in St. Louis, we are desperate for baseball to return. And it's so disheartening and frustrating to see these negotiations playing out in a contentious way because we just want everyone to come to an agreement and baseball to resume at some point. So just a confidence check from you. Where do you sit on this? Do you think we will have a baseball season in 2020? Yes, I, I definitely do. And I, I, I've been more encouraged uh, the last few days. I think um, I, I just I think I, I, my prediction is we'll be playing sometime in July. And I, I hope I'm right because uh, we definitely need it. We all need it and the country needs it. And uh, I just I think that um, we just can't go a season without playing baseball. I mean, it, it's, it's never been done in the history of the game. Uh, there was a year uh, during, I think, World War One or whatever where they stopped a month early. But we, we have to have some sort of baseball, not only for the country, but also for the game, for the industry. It needs to uh, continue to uh, survive and thrive. And I think that uh, eventually they'll get this thing worked out. And I'm very confident they will. I think both sides will realize the importance of it. And um, we'll, get it, we'll get it done hopefully in the next few weeks. Finally, Walt Jockety, before we let you go, I want to I want to tell you this on the air because uh, in covering sports now, thirty seven years, uh, I've seen and maybe it's a devolution of the relationship between front office people and media. There's a lot of, as you know, in dealing with other people, a, a lot of paranoia, a lot of silence on the part of executives, and you always it, built a trusting relationship with at least me, and I know a lot of other people in our town, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't tell us exactly what was going to happen, but if we read between the lines, we had an idea of what was going on with the organization, and I always appreciated the fact that you and I, I think, had a respectful and trusting relationship, and you trusted me with information that allowed me to relay to the fans what was going on at least in a in an opaque way, if not in a concrete way, and I really did that. Your, your relationship with with the media and the fact that you realized that we were a conduit to the fans. Well, I appreciate that, Randy. I mean, it does mean a lot to me because it, I tried to be uh, conscious of that and tried to, and you know, you were so easy, easy to and good to work with, and and uh, it was very enjoyable. A lot of guys back there then were, and it was uh, a lot of people were, and it was. You know, I just felt it was my duty. I couldn't give you the, the exact answers all the time, but I could kind of lead you in the right direction. So I'd let you leave it to your imagination. And you guys usually figured it out pretty good. And it was, uh, and I think that's that's healthy. It's good for, good for obviously for you, good for the fans. It was good for me. So 
I enjoy that. And in fact, I look back, my wife and I talk about this all the time. We look back at our time in St. Louis. Our kids were raised there and uh, they now live out here in Arizona with us. Or not with us, but in Arizona. And uh, it just, uh, it was a great time in our life. And, and, uh, you know, a fun uh, time in my career. And obviously some I'm still very proud of. Still have a lot of friends back there. And I try to get back there whenever I can. Well, it's great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for taking some time, and we hope you don't wind up on the cutting room floor and that we see you a week from Sunday. <laughs> Me too. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Enjoy it. See you all. Thank you. That is uh, the former Cardinal GM, Walt Jockety. Great guy. And uh, obviously, when you go to the NLCS five times in seven years, pretty good general manager, too. Imagine, I mean, you, you lived it in a, in a different way than I did. I was a kid at the time. But Walt Jockety, Tony La Russa, Dave Duncan, three pieces of Cardinals history that really arched, were the architects of some great teams. And you really could make an argument for each of them based on their experiences to be in the Hall of Fame. They're, they're all certainly Hall of Fame worthy if you were going to put those people in. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We're going to cross things over with Danny Mac. Scoops with Danny Mac coming up next on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs, the crossover on 101 ESPN. For Scoops with Danny Mac here on 101 ESPN. We just got off the phone with Walt Jockety. And Danny, it's amazing to think about it. As you started your career as the voice of the Cardinals on FS Midwest, think about going to five NLCSs in seven years. Pretty good, huh? Yeah. Pretty good. A couple of World Series and... The, the best team didn't even win the World Series. I, I've always felt, and I don't know if you guys agree, but um, you know, clearly bringing Tony in and changing the dynamics of what was going on on the field was the biggest part of the turnaround. But Walt Jockety deserves a ton of credit for turning this organization around at the time in the mid-'90s. So in 96, which was his first year, remember he brought in Gaetti, Gant, Bennis, and that team went to the NLCS. Mm-hmm. And then in 97, they get a couple of months in McGuire, and then they're able to resign him. And by resigning him, then you brought so many fans into the ballpark, and two ownership's credit, two Walt's credit, they went out and invested that money. That was Vina and Veers and Daryl Kyle and Edgar Renteria. And then, now you're winning. Now let's go get Jim Edmonds. Let's go get Scott Rowland. So he deserves a ton of credit for getting this thing and the, and the ball rolling in the right direction. And McGuire was, in that deal, a huge part of it. Whatever you think of the steroid thing, that's, that's a personal opinion. But bottom line business and baseball, that was a hell of a deal. And you, you mentioned 1996 as the year you want to start. The thing about the success the Cardinals have had as a whole from 1996 to 2020. It's crazy. It's outrageous when you really think about it. I always go through it. Go through 96. Just think about it if you're driving along or listening where you're at. And, Randy, you guys can help me here, okay? So, 96, you're one win away. You're up three games to one on the Braves. And then Donovan Osborne literally melted down in game. I mean, yeah, he was he melting, okay? Melting down in game seven. <laughs> um, and then uh, 97, McGuire, 98. McGuire. 99 was McGuire hit 65, um, but people are coming to the ballpark in droves just mm-hmm. to see him play. In 2000, they go out and get Edmonds and make that deal with Vina and, and Kyle and uh, and and Dave Veers. So that was big. Renteria was coming in the Braden Looper deal, and they win in 2001, 02. Wait, can, Matt- I, can I tell you one yeah. quick story? I don't know if you remember this or if I've 
I think I've told this on the air. I was just going through the whole litany of it, yeah, though. But, uh, 2000, NLCS, Mets. I'm in New York to do open line, post-game open line. Cardinals lose the NLCS in five. And that's the night that former Governor Mel Carnahan died in a plane crash. So I'm there getting ready to do the post-game open line after the Cardinals lose the NLCS. And somebody gets on from KMOX and says, Randy, we aren't going to do sports. We're, we've got the governor just died in, in a plane crash. We have to cover this. And I was furious. And I said, the governor's still going to be dead tomorrow. Let's do post-game open line. Well, you're a sports guy. Yeah. You're not real big picture. No, I wasn't. No, you're, you're not real well-versed <laughs> or rounded at that and, point. And I'm emotionally invested, obviously. The Cardinals just lost the NLCS, right? So you're so, a little upset. My captain yeah. goes a distance. Yeah. Yeah, so, you're not happy. No. That was the end of Will Clark. <laughs> By the way, grow up, Randy. Okay, grow up. Yeah. I'm sorry. So, okay, go ahead. Oh, well, they, they went in 2000, 01, 02, mathematically alive, 03, World Series, 04, 100 win season, 05, 100 win season, 06, win the World Series, 07, kind of a down year, 08, kind of a down year, but still now starting 08, they, they finished above 500. Mm-hmm. Win in 09, win in, and they were uh, mathematically alive, I think, in the final weekend of 10. Mm-hmm. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, postseason play, 16 down, 17 down. But, you know, I mean, 18, you're, you're at least competitive. I mean, John Mozalock has not had a losing season as either the GM or the president of baseball operations. He's been above 500. And the only other team that lay claims uh, can lay claim to that are the Yankees. That's I, it. I think you had a, a stat where it's in the last decade the Cardinals have played like three meaningless regular season games. Or Since something. 2011, they have played. I believe it's either two or three games in which they have been mathematically eliminated from postseason play, and that is incredible. So your interest level goes into the final weekend yeah. of the regular season. Now it may be. Hard to get there, and it may take a miracle, but still you're alive. You're alive, and that's all people want. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Uh, the big question of the day, obviously, is cereal. <laughs> and so uh, what's your favorite cereal? Um, I can picture it now. Come on, help me out. Give me some Give me some names. Now, we're not talking healthy here. We're talking I know. If you, you're in the well, aisle where I mean, you gravitate. You've got golden grams. grams. Golden grams. Thank you. That's oh, number really? one. That's yeah. really it? Yeah, that's wow, number Randy, one. Wow, Randy nailed this. Well, cocoa cup, cocoa puffs is pretty close. Cuckoo for cocoa puffs. I mean, you let the milk kind of, you know, oh, yeah. like really saturate it, and then it kind of turns into chocolate milk. That's pretty good. Have too. you had Reese's puffs? I've not had Reese's well, puffs. Really it's pretty good. Got the yeah. peanut butter element in there too. Oof, very mm-hmm. good. So we're pretty close to a Mount Rushmore here. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's as good as it gets. Why do you then, get, every time I come in here, you guys make me hungry? Well, it's talking about pancakes and waffles. Yeah, we're and now, starving by the end of the show. <laughs> I, bet I bet you are. I'm hurting today, man. I had a long run yesterday and woke up today, could barely move, and my knees oh. exploded. What's I'm a long old, run? Man. Uh, yesterday was 11 miles. Wow. Yeah, that was pretty good. I would say so. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Good for you. But there's nothing else to do. You look great. So, yeah, you're, well, it was 90 degrees yesterday, too. It was hot. Yeah, it was hot. But I, I got nothing else to do, so... Might as well do. I think about the show. Like, what am I supposed to do? I got to think about topics. You know, yeah. do you guys do that too? All oh, day? yeah, all the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jockety, by the way, told us that he thinks though that we'll have baseball, and he thinks we'll be playing in July. 
I wonder what part of July. That would be the interesting part for me. Because if you're 50 games, you can push it back to late July and still get the season in. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the Arizona Diamondbacks owner saying that we will not play past October. Mm -hmm. You know, the the worries of the second round of the coronavirus coming through. I, I just I just want to see it done. I'm sick of talking about it. I'm sick of talking about the economics of it. I'm sick of talking about and seeing baseball get beat up because it is a beautiful game and I love it. And it's just, you know, if you're a fan right now, you don't want to hear these things. No. You don't. You just don't want to hear about the money part of it. You just want to hear, hey, there's some hope and we we're going to try to play. And I I would give them so much 100 percent credit if they come up with a deal and it just doesn't work out. There's a spread of the virus and guys say, you know what? Hey, we tried. Mm-hmm. We gave we gave it a run. It just didn't work out. And everybody would be appreciative of that, I think. I think they'd say, hey, you tried. Okay, I'm with you. That's all you I'm can back. ask for. That's all you can ask for. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.